I'll tell you. If I had a son and he turned out to be a punk rocker, you know what I'd do? Warning. This podcast contains hot takes, cliched opinions and strong language. Welcome to Records and Bats. Welcome to Records and Bands. My name is Rob Jones. I'm delighted to welcome to the show, all the way from the United States, a musician, a podcaster, a playlist warrior, and a mixtape maker, Brian Colburn. Brian, welcome to the show. You've been podcasting a while now, but this year you brought us a new show, My Weekly Mixtape, which is a really, really cool format. So do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely excited to be on the show today. And my weekly mixtape is a show that I created as a labor of love for something that I did growing up, which was making weekly mixtapes. When I was a kid, on the weekends, my parents would have plans to do things. My father used to rebuild old cars and go to car shows. And they would always be an hour and a half, two hours away. And they would let me know, hey, this weekend we're going to a car show. Make sure you have your Game Boy batteries and your Walkman batteries ready to go. And what I would do is on Monday, I would start putting together tapes of songs that I wanted to listen to for the two hours there and the two hours back and then walking around throughout the day. And then sometimes my buddies would come with me. And what we would do is talk about what songs we wanted to listen to on the way down because back in the I'm going to show my age here, late 80s, early 90s, Walkmans, you were able to get these Y adapters so you could plug two sets of headphones into one Walkman. So we would make a mixtape together with songs we both wanted to hear and kind of plug the plug it into the cassette, put it into the Walkman, and then sit in the back seat with our headphones on and rock out to whatever we made. So this show, I wanted to go back to that mindset because in modern times, people grab a bunch of songs they like, throw them on a Spotify playlist, hit shuffle, and they're on their way. When I was growing up, making mixtapes was telling your story through other people's music, whatever that story is, if it was for somebody you liked, if it it was just something you wanted to drive to. And I wanted to bring back the thought process of combining songs by different bands together or combining your own greatest hits mixtape of a band and putting thought process into the sequencing and the discussion around why you're putting songs where you are. And that is where my weekly mixtape was born. Excellent. Um, Regular listeners to this show will know that me and Leon spent ages on our school bus with a Walkman with a splitter cable, and he would record songs off of them. Headbangers Ball off of MTV because he was the only one mm-hmm. who had MTV. Um, so he he would bring all the new music to me, whatever was on Headbangers Ball or the rock show, he would put onto a tape and that would be our soundtrack to the week on the school bus. Um, but your previous show as well, Play This Wars, um, I just wanted to mention it because when I started doing this podcast, that was one one of the podcasts that I found that I kind of held up to this is what a music podcast should be that that's a standard that I've been kind of reaching for. So thank you very much for that. It's a wonderful little show. And are there plans? Thank you, for thank it? you very much. Are there plans to do more of that in the future? There most certainly are Gomez and I, unfortunately have kids that are at completely different age ranges. My children are 10 and 14. His are two 
and five. And when you put those schedules together, they don't sync. His children are having dinner and getting ready for bed while my children are still out with practice for sports. Then my kids get home and it's time for homework and it's time for that. That's when he's ready to record. So our schedules during the school year are impossible. Our hope is in the summer when the kids' schedules hopefully calm down a little bit, we can come together and record a bunch of episodes to sprinkle out throughout the rest of the year when we can't record. That's the goal right now. But Gomez is doing the Sleevy G show, which is something that he has always wanted to do, where it's a podcast about a little bit of everything. He brings on different guests each week, talking about movies, video games, food, music, where I only podcast about one thing and one thing only. And when I step outside of it, you could tell. I've gone on other podcasts about movies and other things, and I listen back and go, oh, God, why did they? Th- those poor people brought me on and I ruined their show. <laughs> so music is where I am comfortable in my headspace talking about for hours on end. So I wanted to continue doing that. But there is no trouble in paradise. We're still the closest of friends. We still talk every day. We just know our schedules are just not on the same path with the kids. And as we always said on the show, we say now family always comes first. So brilliant, brilliant. Um, I often ask at this point, before we get into the main bulk of the show, is there like a wheelhouse that your music or your record collection sits in and that you, that you then branch out from or going from your podcast? Are you just a little bit of everything all over the place? If I were to play my phone on shuffle, I would either lose friends or for the music connoisseurs become best of friends. My music specifically stems from rock. I own 4,500 CDs and the bulk of them, I'd say a little over 3,000 are in rock. Now, rock to me has many outliers. I consider blues part of rock. I consider punk part of rock. I consider metal part of rock. Then I have a country section. I have soundtracks and I have hip hop and I have jazz. Those are kind of the outliers, but Mm -hmm. they still make up another 1500 of my CDs. So they're no less important. It just so happens that my wheelhouse tends to be what I like to call rock. Angry white boy music, as I like to call it. A little bit of that, a little bit of yeah. everything, yes. <laughs> um, should we dive straight into the questions then? Um, so the first one is, what would be your top three albums of all time ever or your favorite three bands of all time? Or if you're feeling really brave and extravagant, you can tell me both. I am feeling really brave and extravagant today. Let's so go. let's start with albums. For albums, I have talked about this being my favorite album of all time. I've gone on several podcasts to talk specifically about this album. So I'll get it out of the way. It just, we just celebrated what would have been Rick Ocasek's birthday the other day. And it is the self-titled album from the cars. My favorite album of all time. The album I've spun more times. I own more copies of this album from different formats than any other album. To me, it ushered in a new genre of music or at least helped to usher in a new genre of music. And it is an important album. 
And also side B is one of the greatest album sides of all time. Uh, not a lot of hits on it, but just a perfect album side start to finish. And it's something that I wish more bands now took the time to think about because vinyl is making such a resurgence. Album sides are a thing. Um, it's not just a bunch of singles thrown on the vinyl and the cars really did that. And that's something I miss in, in music. So that would be the first album. Yeah. Over here, I think the big hits for the cars would have been best friends girl. That's on the first album, isn't it? And then drive drive was from heartbeat city several years later, but that one is another, I love the cars. So uh, you'll, you'll not hear me say a bad word about them. Uh, even though heartbeat city was their more pop leaning album i mean come on hello again magic you might think drive it's a brilliant album it's just a different era for the band i can see in your eyes you're coming alive just talking about it (laughs) well my second one i'm going to dive into a little bit of metal here and this is one that this album will always come with some pushback from somebody because this band is very polarizing And everything they do is scrutinized to the max. And I'm going with Metallica. Yes, they're one of the biggest bands on the planet. And already people are rolling their eyes and going, oh, here we go. Somebody talking about Metallica. And you have different camps of Metallica fans. And they all fight against each other, which I find funny because they're all fighting over which era is better. Just enjoy the band. And my era is the era that introduced me to it. I was an MTV kid growing up. And when I first saw the video for one, I'm like, who is this? And my cousin was sitting next to me. He goes, wait a minute. You haven't heard Metallica yet? (laughs) And he literally took, he talked to my mom and we went to the mall and I bought Injustice for All on vinyl and fell in love with the band. And Injustice for All is my favorite Metallica album and one of my favorite albums of all time. However, it was my introduction to them. So there's a personal connection to it where I still love Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Kill Em All. I'll just say it. I love the Black Album and Load. I know a lot of people are going to go, oh my God, he loves Load. Yes, I love the Load album. I love Death Magnetic. I love the new singles they're putting out for the new album. But Injustice for All, to me, was very bold. It was very progressive-leaning for a metal album. It was very experimental for the band. More experimental than shortening the songs and tightening things up. This was their biggest, most grandiose release. And the music on it, there's not a skippable song to me. And to me, it's peak Metallica. Excellent. I will be honest, my favorite Metallica song might be Hero of the Day. I think that was on load, wasn't love it? it? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah love I'm it. very love basic it. when it comes to Metallica, I'm afraid. That's no problem. And honestly, people get mad about, uh, you know, like the Load album because they're like, oh, they cut their hair. If you listen to the Load album, thinking that on Garage Inc. in the late 90s, Metallica covered a bunch of bands they liked. And one of the bands on that album was, was Black Sabbath. They covered a Black Sabbath song. If you listen to Load through the lens of Metallica being fans of Black Sabbath, you hear that album in an entirely different way. And I think that's what I respect about it, because growing up with parents who were into hard rock, my father was quick to introduce me to Black Sabbath as a kid and quick to introduce me to 
the classic hard rock that he enjoyed, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, and bands like that. So when Metallica did it, it was like a, a connection that I was like, oh, it's different, but I dig it because I dig these bands already. And I'm okay with bands doing and trying different things, which leads me to my third pick. And that would be Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers because they are he is my favorite artist of all time. And I'm going to go with the album Wildflowers because Excellent. I am a 90s kid. That album to me came out of the time where Tom Petty was a dinosaur musically. If you think about the Pearl Jams and the Soundgardens and all the younger bands that were around, he was a guy that was around since the 70s. He was my father's music. But he was creating songs like Honeybee that fit right alongside of these alternative bands and fit so perfectly while also having these beautiful heartfelt ballads like the title track. And it introduced me to this world of music where I'm like, man, you can have the heavy stuff and the light stuff all in one album. And it works really, really well. And that's when I truly fell in love with Tom Petty and started going backwards and listening to all his older albums. And as his new albums came out, became just a bigger and bigger fan. So going on to bands and artists, I've already mentioned oh, two of them. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so sorry. I was just going to say that's a beautiful, beautiful record, Wildflowers. And how much of uh, influence do you think Rick Rubin was at that point? Because he was obviously he was working with um, Johnny Cash then as well on the stripped back acoustic style stuff, wasn't he? So uh, the American the American albums. Yeah. yeah, there is a on YouTube. There is a documentary about the making of Wildflowers that's absolutely brilliant. And I highly suggest that people check that out. Rick Rubin, I feel like that was around his peak. And I don't want to say peak like he's been on a decline. But if you think about the albums that he was in that era, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Slayer, Seasons in the Abyss, a few years earlier, Beastie Boys, License to Ill, Tom Petty's Wildflower. These are all different genres. And these are all defining albums of those genres unbelievable and i feel like he tapped into finding the best parts of what tom petty was and this was originally supposed to be a double album and after hearing the all the rest album which were all the songs that should have been but were sprinkled on other soundtracks and different things through the 90s when you hear it as an entire piece I don't think the nineties were ready for it. Yeah. I love it, but I don't think, I think it was too eclectic, which is weird because the nineties I would say is one of the most eclectic decades in music. So to me, it's a perfect snapshot, but for some reason, pairing it down to one album, I think for the time it came out, made it the brilliant work as it is. It might've been a little overstuffed, for the casual Tom Petty fan in 1994. But now with his passing and hearing everything, it's like, oh my God, I wish I had these songs back then because there's so much that I relate to them as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Shall we move on to your artist then? You were about to and I held you up. Oh no, it's perfectly fine. Two of them I've mentioned, Tom Petty and Metallica. I know they're big names. When it comes to bands and artists that I love, these are artists that are household names because they have a massive catalog 
And when you go down that rabbit hole and you fall in love with this massive catalog of music, there's just so much to dip into. And I have bands that are my favorites now that have only four or five albums. And I'm like, you think about Tom Petty's catalog with, and then the stuff he did outside of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, he had his solo albums, he had Mud Crutch. You think about that, that's a massive catalog. And then Metallica's is a little smaller, but there's still always something going on in the camp there. And the third one is another household name, no big shock, um, but I was honored to have the drummer for this band on Playlist Wars, and he will be appearing on my weekly mixtape soon to do a weekly mixtape based on the music of Billy Joel. Oh, excellent. and Liberty DeVito, one of my favorite drummers of all time. Billy Joel was my mom's artist growing up. So whenever I was in the car with her, she had Billy Joel on in some facet. So when your parents play music around you all the time, my father always played the cars, Huey Lewis. My mom always played Billy Joel. These bands become kind of ingrained in your musical DNA. And Billy Joel's does. And his music, while his catalog kind of screeched to a halt in 91 with the River of Dreams, I still go back and listen to those albums because there are so many deep cuts that people forget because they're so focused on the piano mans and the scenes from an Italian restaurant, all the ones that everybody knows. But when you dive deeper, there are some amazing, amazing tracks. And his band was so top notch. And yeah, I, I, I love every song by him. So to me, that kind of puts it up there with a popular artist. There are some bands I adore right now. And there's some songs on each album where I'm like, it's good, but if it doesn't come on when I'm shuffling, I'm okay with it. Not with these three artists that I mentioned there. Um, it's funny as well with some, some like the, well, we'll call them older artists. So if, if you go back to the 90s, I was getting into like Pearl Jam and Sangarden as they were releasing these records. So, you know, you, you'd listen to 10 and Verses and then you'd be waiting for the next one. But then through Pearl Jam, I got into Neil Young and there's all of that back catalog that you can just go and dive into. And it would be the same with Billy Joel and Tom Petty getting into them in the 90s. It's, it's all there for you. Oh, and the Neil Young thing, completely on the same page with you because when he did the Merkin Ball, well, when Pearl Jam did the Merkin, or was it mm -hmm. Pearl Jam did Merkin Ball, that's and right. Neil Young did Mirror Ball with Pearl Jam as the backing band. Yeah. To me, my father and I were like, wow, our generations are meeting here. Let's talk about these albums. These, this is awesome because you're one of my one of my father's favorite artists was Neil Young. And Neil Young's Harvest was certainly in the list of my favorite albums of all time when I was trying to whittle it down to three for this discussion. When he did that with Pearl Jam, I'm like universes are colliding and i love that and to me that's exciting when tom petty you mentioned earlier johnny cash tom petty and the heartbreakers played a backing band on one of those american mm -hmm. albums by johnny cash i love when bands do that i'll even throw out one that people hate when metallica backed up lou reed for lulu i get it metallica fans hate that album and they say it's Metallica's worst album. It's not a Metallica album. No. It's a Lou Reed album with Metallica playing with one of their heroes the same way Pearl Jam played with one of their heroes on Mirrorball. 
I've recently, I've said this a lot recently, to be honest, so whether it'll make the edit or not, I don't know. But the uh, Jay-Z Unplugged album with The Roots as his backing band is an all-time great record for me. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I, I love when when hip-hop brings live live musicians into the fold along with the samples and everything. That's why, to me, the Beastie Boys were incredible because they were using Mixmaster Mike for the samples but mm-hmm. still incorporating live music as well. And I think that was like very genre crossing. And that's what I loved about them so much. Yeah. I saw the Beastie Boys at like a at Reading Festival. So it's, a, you know, obviously it's a, a big event and there's lots of people there. And it didn't really get across and I didn't actually enjoy it that much. And then maybe Mama. six months later, I saw them in a, in an, in an arena but it was like an in the range show so the stage was yes. right in the middle and you got right and it was absolutely tits it was amazing <laughs> yeah they so i, I missed you know yeah i missed the beastie boys so much adam yauk was just when he passed that was like the first time an artist from our generation passed too young mm. and i still think the beastie boys would be putting out amazing content now yeah had he still been around so it's a big loss yeah i think we've we obviously growing up with like all the grunge bands and that we've obviously lost people but it's once they get through that you know once they get past the stages of the kurt cobains and lane staley's and you think they've got their their shit all worked out if you like so like for me chris cornell's passing was tragic because you think it 50 something you're through it, you're past it, and you're home free. But yes, the one that I remember the most was Kurt Cobain. Yeah. You know, in the 90s. But I'm talking about where it was kind of middle age, so to speak, passing, where it, it, and he hid his, his sickness kind of from public view. Mm-hmm. The band knew about it. But when that happened, it almost seemed like it was coming from left field. Mm hmm. And, you know, when when the story started leaking about what actually happened, it was just more and more heartbreaking. And, and, yeah. I, and I, again, I take nothing away from Kurt Cobain. Oh, no, 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 no. Elaine no, no. Staley's and anything like that. Yeah. Um, we'll try and go back to some happier times. Yes. <laughs> um, can you remember what, the fir- <laughs> what was the first record you bought with your own money or you specifically asked someone else to buy for you? That is easy. I'm going to go to CDs because cassettes, it's a little blurry. I know with cassettes... I want to say my first two cassettes were a birthday present and it was ACDC's If You Want Blood, You've Got It, the live album and Michael Jackson's Thriller. That's going back to when I was maybe five or six. Fast forward to when I was 11 years old and I got my first CD player. My parents bought me the the little Iowa stereo that had the two speakers, the CD player on top and the dual cassette decks. It was not a boom box, meaning it sat on your dresser. It was like a mini stereo. My dad said, you can go pick out two CDs. So that way you have something to start with. Mm -hmm. I was always, and I still am, try to get the most bang for your buck. So what I did is I went and grabbed the Doors two CD greatest hits set because it was technically one purchase. And Aerosmith's Pandora's box, which was a three CD set. And to, I walked over and I go, here are the two I want. He goes, somehow I feel like I'm getting shafted here. I'm like, no, no, it's two <laughs> CD. He's like, it's five. I'm like, yeah, it's totally five. But he's <laughs> like, if I didn't love the doors so much and kind of want to hear hear these songs again, I would not be 
giving into this, but all right. And, and, you know, obviously it was when I first got my CD player, then my parents went and bought one and then going to the music stores with my father to buy CDs became something that was very special to me. So those were my first two that, uh, will always ring true and be very important to me. Can you remember the first time that you bought a CD and then your dad stole it or your dad said, Oh, I'll have that. Thank you very much. Did that happen? Yes. Aerosmith's pump. Janie's got a gun. He absolutely fell in love with that track. And he goes, man, these guys are still putting out because he knew them from the Mm seventies. He didn't jump onto the dude looks like a lady bandwagon. When I first got into permanent vacation, but when he first saw the video for Janie's got a gun, he goes, Aerosmith still has it. And then he, he got onto the whole album. So that was definitely that one. Excellent. The flip side to this question is what was the last record you bought or streamed or downloaded? Well, when you and I were going back and forth about this a week ago, that would have been fake names, which is a new punk. It's not new. They came out in 2020 with their first album, but they have a new album out and it features punk members who played in minor threat, bad religion, refused Fugazi. That was going to be my answer. However, I forgot that there was a Saturday in between when we talked and when we're recording, which is now. And yesterday I went out and bought fallout boys so much for stardust. So that is my latest CD. And I will say this, I have always been hot and cold on fallout boy. I liked the earlier stuff that was more punk, a little emo guitar driven. Then they kind of slid very heavy into pop. And so much so that my 14 year old loved them for the pop music. And when I, played her dance dance and said it's the same band she didn't believe me (laughs) what i like about this new album is i think they found the perfect balance for modern pop with guitars so i think both eras of the band will find something on this album where some of the songs might feel skippable to a pop fan i'm sorry to a guitar heavy fallout boy fan to me i enjoyed hearing both eras kind of combining into one papa roach did this last year with the ego trip album their couple of albums prior to ego trip were very pop very dubstep oriented a little more overproduced with drum loops and everything else this album went back to the hard rock however they kept some of the styles that they integrated on their last few albums and wove it in. So you could be a fan of the band all the way back from infest and ego trip has the infest vibe along with all their other sounds that they've incorporated. So to me, it feels like a greatest hits of styles from that band's legacy. And I think fallout boys doing it this year with so much for stardust. Excellent. Would you like to tell me about the first gig you went to your first concert experience? Certainly. April 7th, 1988, David Lee Roth and Poison at the Brendan Byrne Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I just had the chance to have on Billy Sheehan, who was the bass player for David Lee Roth up until this tour started. So I did not see 
Billy Sheehan on this tour, but he plays on the album and he obviously eat him and smile, but poison. I won the tickets off my local radio station. I called in and I was the number five caller and I got a pair of tickets and my cousin took me because he was a huge Van Halen fan. And this was again, Steve Vai was still up on stage with David Lee Roth. So he had the, the talent and poison was the first band I ever saw live. So poison to this day, has a get out of jail free card with me. I still love going to see them. I don't care that they're considered kind of the hair band glam metal poster child. They were the first band I ever saw live. And they debuted this new single they were going to put out. Nothing but a good time. And every rose has its thorn from their upcoming Excellent. open up and say, ah, album. So this was really early in their tenure before they exploded. And then obviously David Lee Roth, I got to hear Van Halen and some of his hits in my first ever concert. So that one, whew, it was a, it was a, it was a scorcher. It wasn't one of my parents' bands that I kind of got dragged to. I was kind of excited that my first concert was two bands that I, especially at that age, I was 11 years old, just was head over heels about because that was MTV at the time. That was top 40 radio that was all I was listening to. And I'm like, oh my God, I get to see these bands live. Oh, this is unbelievable. Excellent. Excellent. What was the last gig you went to? I had a chance this year. My wife and I uh, received a pair of tickets to go see Sister Hazel at the Newton oh, Theater fantastic. in Newton, New Jersey. And I've been a fan of them for decades. I think they're an incredible group. They are um, very underrated on the 90s scene. Everybody knows the song All For You. And people remember that one, but this band has so many fantastic albums and such a deep catalog of music. It was a, it was a really fun night to go revisit a lot of those amazing songs. Yeah, there we go. Um, who's been the biggest influence on your record collection as you've amassed this massive wall of physical media music, who's, you know, are there people that you can point to and go, I wouldn't be into this if it wasn't for that person. This is going to sound very pretentious, but I truly mean this. Anybody who has a record collection has been an influence on me. When I go to somebody's house and it was like in high school and I was friends with somebody, I went to their house for the first time and we'd be hanging out. The first thing I would ask is where's your music collection. And to me, that's where I'd learn about the person. Oh, wait a minute. You listen to the descendants. Oh my God. Like that's, that's not a top 40. We're, let's talk about this. How do you know the descendants? Oh my God. You, how do you know who the dead milkmen are? How do you know who typo negative is? These, these bands that were not in the mainstream. And I would learn about people that way. My cousin was all three of my cousins, uh, were the ones who really started it. Because I would go to their house as the little runt cousin of the family. And I would always be up in their rooms and they would have music on. And I'd always be sitting in front of the stereo like, who am I listening to? And they would always be playing stuff that was age appropriate for me. However, when my mom and their mom left the room, they'd be like, they would kind of look over both shoulders and be like, all right, listen to this. And that's how my cousins would get me into ACDC and Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth. And, you know, just don't tell mom we're playing you this, but this song has some naughty language in it. Just don't repeat it. And that's how I got in trouble in kindergarten by bringing my cousin's 
Highway to Hell record in to show and share and uh, putting on If You Want Blood, You've Got It as my song to play for the class. My mom got a phone call that day and they said, you know, we feel like your son is listening to stuff that's extremely inappropriate for a five-year-old to be listening to. And my mom said, what's wrong with ACDC? It's, he knows there's no blood on the rocks and blood in the street and blood in the sky. It's just a song. He understands this. And they said, well, next time you should probably run it by us if he's going to bring in another musical artist. <laughs> um, are we blaming you for the parental advisory stickers on CDs in the future then? Certainly not. But I will say this as a child who who would much rather go to the record store than to the toy store. Uh, when I saw that parental advisory sticker, all that told me was I wanted that album more. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I know the answer to the next one but, um, from listening to your show. But so would you like to tell us a bit about the band you're in, the bands you've been in in the past? I know you're you've been in quite a few bands over the years, haven't you? Sure. Yes. So. Uh, I have been in and I'm still part of bands since high school, but the bands that I truly went somewhere with, if you want to call it as put out albums and, and did things, uh, in 1999 to 2002, I was with a group called the fourth. We were a hard rock group and anybody who's listened to playlist wars or my weekly mixtape is familiar with the fourth because the theme music to both shows are from that band. They were kind enough on group text. I'm like, Hey guys, I'm starting a podcast. Can I use one of our songs? And they were like, sure. When you're getting millions of downloads, we'll renegotiate this contract. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the fourth. We had the chance to open up for Zach Wilde's black label society oh, at the wicked. stone pony summer stage. Um, so technically we are now one degree away from Pantera because he's playing with them now and one degree away from Ozzy, which obviously we, we never got that far, but in our minds, we opened for somebody who played it with Ozzy and played with yeah. Pantera. We didn't do so bad. Black Label Society are a great band as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, his um, Book of Shadows um, acoustic album. That's amazing. Oh, he's incredible. Absolutely incredible player. From 2003 to 2006, I was in a punk band called All at Random, and we played a lot of punk shows in the area, very pop punk for the time, immature, goofy, just have fun, three chords, let's not overthink this, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. And we had a chance to open up for some big bands in the area and got a little bit of a name for ourselves in New Jersey. We opened up for a band at the time who were traveling in a minivan with a mattress in the back and telling us how rough the road was, but they were hoping this new song of theirs, Hey There Delilah would break big. And that was the plain white tees, uh, lucky boys, confusion, agnostic front, the Dickies, the damned. And then we had a chance to open for the misfits, not the Glenn Danzig misfits. It was when Jerry only was singing. So, not as big a venue because they're playing arenas now when they play with the original lineup. But to say that in some part of the Misfits history, my dumb punk band had a chance to share a bill with them, regardless of what era, to me, is just mind-blowing. I think you've buried the lead there, and it may be a transatlantic thing, but you played with the Damned, 
They're one of my favorite bands of all time. They're amazing. They were so incredible. And they came off the stage and we're kind of setting up our gear and just be able to shoot the breeze with them. And, you know, they were like, oh, you know, looking forward to your set. If they watched it or not, we don't know. But to be able to, that's punk royalty. We did not deserve to be in the same room with them, even in the audience, let alone playing music for the same people. And yet there we were. I mean, look, at the time, you got on these shows by selling a lot of tickets. So we were doing something right to sell these tickets. We made them a lot of money. We made nothing doing these shows. But you would have been there if you weren't good. Exactly. Well, good is, is depends on how you ask. We were punk. So if our guitarist's string went out of tune, he didn't quite care to tune it. It, it's all about the vibe and the sound. He broke a string once during our last song, um, slammed the guitar on the ground and just kicked it for the entire yep. song and figured it would sound better than trying to tune it mid song. Um, so right. we were definitely one of those groups that was all about just going out there and putting on the best show possible. Since 2007, I've been doing my own thing, the acoustic thing, Brian Colburn Colburn and Company. I've put out four full-length albums and an EP, and I've had the amazing good fortune to open up for one of my favorite bands of all time who could have easily made my top three as well, and that's Blues Traveler. By some stroke of luck, because we've seen them so many times, I got friendly with their tour manager and said, hey, if you ever see my name pop up, can you like put a good word in for me? And I saw they were playing a venue near me. So I called the venue and said, hey, if you could reach out to their tour manager and mention my name, I'd love to open this show. And two days before the show, which I was going to anyway, I got a phone call and they said, hey, this is the Bergen Pack and uh, you're load in time on Thursdays at four o'clock. And I'm like, but what? What do you load in time? What are you, what are you talking about? The opening slot for Blues Traveler, where do you? you you're, they put you on the bill like two months ago. You didn't know this? And I'm like, <laughs> does this sound like somebody who has any idea? So I literally walked into my boss's office and said, look, never in a million years would I ever expect this to happen. But remember how I told you if I ever get a chance to open for Blues Traveler? He's like, when's the gig? I'm like, Thursday. <laughs> He's like, enjoy the day off, but come back to work on Friday morning, not hungover and ready to go play rock star for a day on Thursday and enjoy every living second of it. And I sure as hell did. And since then Colburn and company has been playing a lot of shows throughout New Jersey. We do winery street fairs, festivals. Uh, we don't do a lot of like bigger shows anymore. We stick to a lot of cover songs, uh, sprinkle a few originals in. We do it for fun now. Yeah. Um, having a family doing podcasting, writing music, getting the band together, it's a little harder now. So we just go out four to five times a year and have a blast playing music together. And uh, that's been my thing for the last seven or eight years now. Brilliant. That sounds awesome. Um, You get to book a festival. You get to choose six bands or artists that you're going to play at this festival. So who would you like to see? Well, the first one I just mentioned, Blues Traveler. I understand that everyone knows Runaround and Hook. This is a band that when you go into their catalog, their album cuts 
blow away any single that was ever on radio. Their live shows blow away any single that was ever on radio. Some of the best concerts I've ever been to are Blues Traveler. I saw Blues Traveler December of 2001 in New York City, a mere months after 9-11. And John Popper came out and played the Star Spangled Banner on harmonica to open up the show. You could hear a pin drop through the audience. And he said that song was dedicated to everybody we lost and all the first responders. And I want to let you know we've got a lot of them here tonight. And I, and I started seeing cheers from all different parts of the audience. And at the end of the night, they brought up about 50 or 100 first responders up on stage. And it was just such a beautiful... I'm getting... The hair on my mm. arm is standing up just talking about it. And this is 20-something years later. After that, I'm going to go with a guy who is a world-renowned, famous blues guitarist. But a lot of the mainstream music listeners are not familiar with him. But music fans, as soon as I say the name, they're like, of course. And that's Joe Bonamassa. Plays all over the world. One of the best blues rock guitarists. He plays in Black, uh, Black Country Communion. He does his own solo stuff. He does producing. He's just does everything for modern blues rock. And when I first saw him, it was at a venue called Mexicali Blues in Teaneck, New Jersey with less than 100 people. And I brought my friends who I was in the punk band with at the time and said, you got to see this guy play guitar. And he did his cover of B.B. King's Blues Deluxe. And my buddy, who is a punk guy, mohawk and everything, standing next to me, turns to me and said, son of a bitch, I have to admit, you just made me a blues fan that night. So to me, that was, and now he plays massive arenas and, and you know, Red Rocks and all over the world. But being able to see him from the ground up was amazing. Next on that list, the Interrupters. I love me some ska. I love me my yeah. punk. And the Interrupters are everything I love about ska punk. They're not the circus third wave ska punk like the Real Big Fish was in the 90s. And please let me stress, I love the third wave ska movement. But I call it circus because you had... Aaron out there with the the plaid shirts, the I'm sorry, the uh, Hawaiian shirts. It was very goofy, very fun, very. I don't want to use the word immature, but some of the some of the lyrics were not poignant in any way. But the interrupters talk about serious topics, topics that are uh, uh, you know important. And they do it in such a fun way. And I have two daughters. And this past summer, I got to take them to see the Interrupters with Flogging Molly. And my nine-year-old at the time was sitting on my wife's shoulders the whole night. She knew every word to every song. And there wasn't one part where I even thought for a second that I was concerned that my nine-year-old was singing about being powerful, being... Mm -hmm. You know, standing up for yourself, fight like a title holder. You know, I'm a match. She's kerosene. Just she knew every word in the mirror, every song. And that night I literally sat there watching a concert through my children's eyes, seeing them sing along. And this band is they're growing. They're getting bigger with each album. 
I truly believe they could be one of the biggest ska punk bands in the world if they continue on this path. So they would be next. Their record last year was probably my album of the year. Certainly top three oh, album in, for me. In the wild, unbelievable. Yeah. I have a signed copy sitting right above Thanks. that I look at every day. Uh, I would. They're a band that are on my absolute wish list to have on my weekly mixtape because even though they only have six or seven albums, I could easily do 10 different ways till Sunday in Interrupters mixtape. And I've made them because I make them for my kids now because they want to hear them. The next two groups are groups I've talked about already. So I'll just say them. Billy Joel and Metallica. Understand their big names. But then the one that closes the night, I just mentioned with my cousins getting me into them as a kid and my little faux pas back in kindergarten. ACDC. I want to see Angus Young. I don't care how old he is. He still commands 70,000 strong with his character, his charisma, his persona. One of my favorite guitarists of all time. There's a reason groups like Tom Petty didn't make this list because I assumed you meant current bands. Obviously, if this was any band from any era, living or dead, it would change the list some. But out of living bands right now, ACDC, God, they're just so much fun they're worldwide everybody be singing along at the end of the night and what a way to close out a great festival right exactly if you could bring someone back would you put bon scott on there instead of brian Mm. that is an amazing question i can picture well I, i i understand that brian johnson can sing bon scott songs I don't know how Bon Scott would sound singing Thunderstruck or For Those About to Rock or Rock and Roll Train or even Back in Black. But as much as I love the Brian Johnson era, Bon Scott is my favorite ACDC era. I just loved, there was something about his voice that was so unique. Mm-hmm. But I love both eras. A bloke I used to work with, he did in London, and he saw them in a tiny little club somewhere, oh, like man. May, maybe like two or three weeks before one of the big records came out. It might have been Highway to Hell. It might have, might not have been, but yeah, he said it was like seeing Bon Scott. It was like nothing else he'd seen before or since. It was it was amazing. Like, he was so. a one of a kind talent, and I'm thankful that ACDC carried on and Brian is the perfect guy to carry on. But I consider it a completely different era, similar to the Van Halen, Van Hagar eras. Mm -hmm. I love both, but to me it is conceivably two different bands. Yeah. I, 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 I haven't listened to a Alice in Chains record since Lane Staley passed away and they brought in the new guy. Oh my like, god! I, I will say I, I'm I'm sure I'm missing out on loads. I just can't bring myself to do it. It's a different band to me. It is a completely different band, but I will tell you this: those last three albums they did, Black gives way, Black gives way to Blue, um, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here, and Rainier Fog. Please, please, please go down that rabbit hole. They are a tribute to where the band came from. And 
move the band forward in a way where it's respectful and does not feel like it's done in force. Easily, Jerry Cantrell could have put out these three albums as solo albums, but the dynamic that the new singer brings to the fold, it definitely fits better under the Alice in Chains monkey. It really does. I actually rank Black Gives Way to Blue higher than Three Legged Dog. Oh, right. Okay. Excellent. So, I, and I put not by much. They're, no. they're like right there, but it, they are fantastic albums and they honor Lane's legacy. I without will, without shitting over what was done in the past, and I apologize, you could beep that out if need be, but they oh, they no need they they truly respect the legacy and continue it in a respectful, honorable way that I think is worth any Alice in Chains fans time. I will then make the effort, and if you're wrong, I'll come and find you. <laughs> I'll be all up for that discussion if you disagree, because Brilliant. I would be fascinated by it. Um. Is there a band or an artist? This question needs a bit of translation. Um, well, it certainly did with the other chap I had on from the States. Um, which band or artist makes you dance around the kitchen like a bit of a dickhead? Ooh, well, right now, it would be the Interrupters. Excellent. When they come on, I am bopping around, getting stuff done. My There's points where my kids are, you know, when they were a little younger, when I would have them on, they'd be dancing in the living room and I'd get up and dance with them. And it was something, a connection with them. So I'm sure as heck not moshing with them and knocking them over, but jumping up and down and having fun with them and kind of just throwing caution to the wind. The interrupters would be that group. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, is there a band or an artist um, or a musician of any type, which like the whole world just think is the best thing since think it's the best, best thing since sliced bread and you're just like nah i don't get it there's two and this is where everybody that's listening to your show is going to be like f this guy uh, <laughs> and i apologize and i will say this music is subjective there are no right and wrong answers so nothing i'm about to say means i don't like these these groups because damn it i've tried many times and i've bought albums and tried to understand but they just don't resonate with me and those bands are coldplay and radiohead and i know a lot of people's heads are going right now they i respect them as musicians and artists but okay computer to me falls flat i enjoyed the bends and i enjoy creep by radiohead but then when they kind of took this turn into the little bit more avant-garde sound. It just doesn't hit with me. And Coldplay is one of those, they're one of the You don't have to apologize to not liking Coldplay. No one likes Coldplay. They're terrible. I, I just see people, but it's funny when I say that in the States, all of my buddies that when they play stadiums, they're all there. And I'm like, I don't, how can you sit through that? I'm sorry, but they're like, they, they think I'm making fun of them, but I'm just, no, it, no. it doesn't resonate with me. And look, there are some Coldplay songs I actually enjoy, but again, it's, it's the song where you mention it to a Coldplay fan and they go, Oh, but yellow. I thought that was a decent two thousands acoustic ballad had the guitar. And I'm like, this isn't bad. This sounds like whatever music was in 2000, 2001. And then when they started doing the other stuff like clocks and I know everybody fell in love with them, I kind of went, 
yeah, I'm, that, not me. It's just not for me. Um, the flip side of this question is, is there a band that you're really into that your mates are just like, Brian, they're terrible. Oh, God, yeah. And that's Fish. <laughs> Absolutely Fish. And my friends are like, how can you listen to a group play a song for 25 minutes just noodling? And as a musician, I've gone to Fish concerts. I'm not there for the scene. I'm there for the music. So I am actually watching to see how they're going to transition from one song to another. It's my musical nerdery coming out in band form. Wait a minute. You're going from a slow song in a minor key to an upbeat fast song. Not in minor. How is this possible? And watching them kind of weave and transition songs. It fascinates me. I love listening to their studio albums because they incorporate a lot of jazz, a lot of different styles of music that don't necessarily work together. And I understand why fish would be a band that people don't like the scene, I think is also something that doesn't do the band any justice because I tried to bring my kids when they were much younger to a concert and my wife vetoed me and we went to the concert and, 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 uh, and she's like, there's no way it's, it's not, I said, it's just music. What's what we're going to an art center. We're going to sit on a, on a lawn with a blanket. How bad could it be? And we got there and we're sitting on the blanket and this couple sits in front of us with their three-year-old. And I look at my wife and I'm like, see, I'm right. Like I win this argument. And she's like, okay, you win. The wife gets up to go get popcorn and sodas or whatever. And this man calls his buddy and goes, okay, I got two minutes. And this guy walks over and they drop acid. With the three-year-old sit, my wife looks at me. Now I'm ready to like throw this guy over the, like the fence. Like what do you, like your kid is sitting there. The wife comes back. Now this guy is tripping off his mind and she's like, oh, you, you silly goose. You like, like shame on you. You shouldn't be doing that. And the guy's like, has no idea what planet he's on. And I looked at my wife and said, a hundred percent, you win. I, I've never seen anything like that <laughs> just because their kid was there. If they were just like, look to each their own, if people want to do that stuff, that's fine. But when there's a kid present, have some like be a parent, damn it. So that, <laughs> that, that, and I understand. So now even to this day, when I say, oh, fish is coming around, my wife remembers that moment. She's like, ah. And that's the scene part of it that kills me because they're such amazing musicians. And, uh, but look, I get why people don't like them. So I, I don't argue. I never have those arguments with people when they say, well, fish sucks. Tell me why they don't. I'm like, I can't because it's subjective. There's no, what I like about them might be the exact reason you hate them and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So neither one of us are wrong. Excellent. So other than that fish concert, if you could time travel to any musical era or scene, where would you like to go? This one's actually easy. I thought this was going to be a hard question, but I want to go right the hell back to freshman year in high school, 1991. Think about that meme that circulates all the time on music, Twitter, and, and all the place. It's the 
1991 meme of cassettes. These albums were all released within 44 days of each other. Metallica's The Black Album, Pearl Jam's 10, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger, Nirvana, Nevermind. I was buying those week in and week out at the record store. Like This is when my mind was like, oh, I've got my CD player. I'm getting these albums. Oh my God. Like how many? And my mom at one point said, this can't be an every week CD purchase thing. Little did she know how bad it would become where I was. She was right. It wasn't a one CD a week purchase thing. It was a 10 to 20 CD week, per you know, CDs a week purchase thing. But to me, 1991 was amazing because you still had the eighties hair bands were still at the top. Nirvana came out with Nevermind. So the scene hadn't changed yet. So you still had your Poisons, your Warrants, your Motley Crues, and your Hard Rock Echelons. Then you had these bands that were just creeping up. Your Pearl Jams, your Soundgardens, your Alice in Chains, your Nirvana. And it was this time when music was changing and I lived through it. And I was taking it all in. And to me, that was so iconic to be a part of. I would relive that in an instant. Excellent. We had a little conversation a while back on the show about um, whether um, was it Nirvana that killed hard rock and hair metal? Um, and we came to the conclusion that actually it's probably Guns N' Roses because by the time you get to like that use your illusion tour, everything was so big and overblown and he's got the grand piano on the stage and the gospel singers for backing vocals and all these antics that people were just done with it. I would have to say that that Metallica guns and roses tour that went across the U S with faith, no more opening mm. when Axel wouldn't show up for two and a half hours, it put a sour taste in a lot of rock fans mouths. And I know obviously guns and roses still tours the world and sells out everywhere. So everyone's long forgiven it, but they were setting the stage for a palate cleanser. Because people were spending a lot of money, and I know the giant stadium show, Guns N' Roses didn't even go on until like 11.30 at night, and they played until one in the morning, and there's kids in the audience. Like, there are parents there that a lot of people didn't get to see that, and they paid a lot of money back then. So here comes Nirvana, mm -hmm. no grand piano, no background singers, just three guys dressed in street clothes tearing the place down, getting back to basics, meat and potatoes. I understand that grunge is not meat and potatoes, rock and roll, but all the theatrics, all the look, all the style, all the glam, they just gave the middle finger to it and came out wearing whatever the hell they wanted. Who cares? That's my father's flannel shirt. Great. I mean, I went, when I went, when I was going out with my buddies, I would go in my parents' closet and just look through my dad's old clothes because the flannel he had back in the seventies was awesome. And then I, I was like, oh, where'd you get that shirt? I'm like, it's vintage. <laughs> so final, this is our final question. Um, you get to add one song to our playlist for the ages, um, which we can either put in a time capsule or in bury it, or we can send into space for the aliens to find. But what would you like to put on our playlist? This is the toughest question of them all, because I have two answers. One of them is sentimental and it's my favorite song of all time. But as soon as I say it, people who don't know me 
really raise an eyebrow. And my sentimental pick is actually Kermit the Frog's Rainbow Connection from the original Muppet movie. Is the right answer. Well done. I'm glad you well said done. that because that was the first record my parents ever bought me. And my father would work crazy hours. And at night when I couldn't fall asleep, my mom would put the record on and we would sit and listen to Rainbow Connection. And I would always go back to that song throughout the years. And when I was getting married, my mom's like, whatever you do. When we have our first dance, please don't make it Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog. I'll never make it through the song. So I said, I promise you. Uh, and I didn't say I promise. I, I used different words. I said, I've got you. I've got you covered. So when we went up for the mother-son dance, I put on Kenny Loggins' version of Rainbow Connection. And she looked at me and she gave me the Okay, cute, very funny. And, and as we're dancing, she whispers in my ear, thank God you didn't put Kermit the Frog's version. I would have lost it. At the end of the first verse of Kenny Loggins' song, I edited and cross-faded the two. So the banjo comes in on Kenny Loggins' version, and Kenny oh, Loggins' version fades out, and Kermit the Frog's fades in. And for the rest of the song, bawling like a mess on my I, we were both oh, bawling man. and it's such a beautiful moment for me so that's my sentimental pick and yeah, then that's it that's going on there man that's it all right then i won't even go with the other one that is the one i will no, go with that's perfect and it's an amazing song and it's an amazing story to go with it brian that was great thank you so much for coming out to play today i know it's early on a sunday morning for you over there so um just remind everyone where they can find you online Certainly. My Weekly Mixtape you can find on any podcast provider by just searching the words My Weekly Mixtape. It's everywhere. We also, with the show, because we create these mixtapes each week, we embed the mixtapes on each episode page. So if you go and you're like, I have no idea what song Brian's rambling on about right now, you go to the page and there's a Spotify playlist embedded. You can hear all the songs and that's at myweeklymixtape.com. There's email on there. I'm on social media everywhere at my weekly mixtape. I love engaging with people and talking music. That is why I do this. I love the conversations we have. I love the conversations I get to have with folks like you, Rob, and the other music community. Follow me. Let's talk tunes. I love music, and I hope it comes across in the discussions I do each week on the show. Brilliant. I'll leave all of that in the show notes along with um, all of our social media links and, of course, our website, LoneWolfCollective.com. I've been Rob Jones, he was Brian Colburn, and that was Records and Bands. Tell me how good it's fucking boring.